in the squadron. They called him Bullets. But we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow. Still in kind of a state of shock. The guy's in jail. The Gilgo Beach serial killer. And quite frankly, it should have happened a decade ago. A decade ago, they had the information to get this guy. The authorities had the information to get this guy. And somehow, somehow it's been blown for 10 years. Thank God, too. Uh, guys with integrity, with professionalism, with skill, with know-how, with savvy, with street smarts, uh, arrived on the scene. I'm talking about the district attorney, Ray Tierney is his name, right? Raymond Tierney. Uh, he became the DA in, I think, December of 21, January of 22. First thing he did was kick off this, this task force along with the police commissioner out there, Rodney Harrison. Excellent, excellent commissioner, a veteran of the New York City Police Department, by the way. Um, together these guys formed a task force and they're like, okay, we're going to get this. We're going to fix this. We're going to solve this because it had been going on way too long. Obviously these guys, fresh eyes, New perspective, new motivation, you know, new momentum. Let's do something here. And quite frankly, within comparatively speaking, in a couple of moments, they were able to figure this out in a couple. They started that task force in February of uh, 2022. In March, they had their guy. In March, they had their uh, Rex Hoyerman. I call him Hoyerman. That's what the name looks like to me. Hoyerman. It's incredible how quickly they moved. but. The guys 10 years ago should have had it. <laughs> they should have had it because they had enough information to get them. Um, again, I just love the new regime out there. Let's start with, um, you understand, I'm going to take you through this. They knew what the guy looked like. They knew what kind of car he drove. They knew where he was making the phone calls from <laughs> in 2012. That is, let's do the math. It's 2023. That's uh, 10 plus 1. That's 11 years ago. 11 years ago, um, they knew it was a six foot five, burly guy with strange hair and wore glasses and drove a Chevy Avalanche. And the calls were coming from Massapequa Park. How big is Massapequa Park, anybody, right? It's a small little uh, hamlet, village, whatever. I'm guessing there are how many people? 20,000. That's my guess. That's my guess. That's my guess. But let's find out. Let's find out the facts. Actually, while I do that, I want to hear from uh, some of the men and women of the hour here, the guys who came in and uh, solved this thing. D.A. Tierney, cut 21, please. This is from Friday. We formed the task force. We began working uh, collectively. Uh, and then a mere six weeks later, on March 14th, 2022, Rex Yerman was identified for the first time. Uh, and the ma- manner in which that was done was uh, the New York State investigator looked at a database. Uh, Amber Costello, the day before her uh, disappearance on September 1st, uh, 2010, uh, she, uh, uh, con- uh, she um, met with an, an individual for the purposes of, of having him pay her money uh, for, for her services. Um, but she uh, she. Would involve she involved herself in a ruse where once the the individual gave her uh, gave her money and uh, other individuals came into the the house pretended to be a significant others confronted the individual 
with the purpose of, of making that individual uncomfortable, having him leave without retrieving his money. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, so uh, that individual was identified as, as a person who was between 6'4 and 6'6, six, six, uh, a, a large man, thickly built, not necessarily overly muscular, but just a naturally uh, big person with glasses, white, uh, and, and dark hair. Uh, also of significance was um, that the fact that he was driving a dark colored or black uh, av uh, uh, first uh, first generation uh, Chevrolet Avalanche with a, a, a very uh, unique feature that was between the, the it's a pickup truck. So it was between the cab and the bed. Uh, and that was identified again. That was back uh, in uh, 2010. 2010. That's a long time ago. Wait, 2010. 2010. Six foot four, six foot six, thickly built. Avalanche. You know what an avalanche is? The pickup. I didn't know what. It, I've never heard of an avalanche. All right. Most of these cars. I'm looking out right now. I don't know what any car is. The make and model. I can tell a Mercedes. I can tell a BMW. I can tell a Honda Accord. And then there are a million different other cars. Right. They all blend together. Well, an avalanche is one of those cars that blend together. It's a pickup truck, but it's got a little bit of a funky feature. It's got a triangular window that is, just as he said, between the bed and the cab. It's a triangular window on an angle. It's a very distinct feature. So it's like, okay, that's an avalanche. That's He described it, I guess, to the event. They knew it was a Chevy avalanche. Now, uh, okay, well, wait a second. Uh, so he's a big guy driving a Chevy avalanche. How do they know it was him? Well, it's a witness who said, this is the guy, all right? Now, how many are? Now, it gets even more specific, though. More specific, the district attorney, again, Ray Tierney, he's the one and his team, and he gives them the the impetus, he gives them the new task force, and he gives them the marching orders, let's do this. And they did it in a matter of weeks after all these years. They said, we have this information. Cut 22, please. It gets even more specific. One thing that became immediately apparent uh, was at the time of the uh, each of the murders, uh, the murderer, the, the defendant, Herman, uh, he got a, a uh, he got a, a cell phone uh, and a burner phone, which uh, which is prepaid and anonymous. And for each of the murders, he got an individual burner phone, and he used that to communicate with the victims. Uh, then, shortly after uh, the death of the victims, uh, he then would uh, would get rid of the burner phone. Uh, and uh, right away in December of 2012. Uh, FBI uh, cast analysts, uh, special agents with the cast unit of the FBI, they immediately began looking at that cell site uh, uh, data. They compared the victims' phones with uh, with the burner phones, and they immediately uh, honed in on some some sim similarities, specifically uh, in the Massapequa Park area. And they looked at the an area of a confluence of four cell towers. Uh, and they realized that this was had uh, significance because uh, the the uh, perp perpetrator of these crimes was probably located within this area uh, during at or around the times of the murderer. Uh, and that was mapped out. That was called the box. And it was an area uh, in Massapequa Park. Uh, the FBI also managed to do that for an area in mid midtown Manhattan. <laughs> You see what I'm talking about now? I, uh, well, during the break, I looked it up. How many people are in Massapequa Park? 17,000. It's small. I guess 20, 20,000. It's 17,000. Smaller than I thought. 
That's not big. That's not a lot of people. How many people in Massapequa Park, if the calls are coming from Massapequa Park, and they know this in 2012, how many people drive an avalanche, uh, are six foot five, uh, glasses? I mean, how many? How many can there be? How many can there, how many? I'm guessing, quite frankly, one. <laughs> I'm guessing one. Maybe there are five. Maybe there are ten. Maybe there are 20. I don't care if they're 400. They should have been able to narrow it down, don't you think? Next. We made the commitment. We were going to take our talented, almost talented investigators. So in the district attorney's office, we took uh, uh, ADAs, myself included. We took analysts. We took detective investigators. And they worked on a daily basis with other talented investigators from all of the agencies here. Um, and uh, we started that in February 1st, in 2022. Six weeks later, on March 14th, 2022, the name Rex Hurman was first mentioned as a suspect uh, in the Gilgo case. A New York State uh, investigator was able to uh, to um, identify him in a database. Uh, and from that point on, we used the power of the grand jury, over 300 subpoenas and search warrants, uh, looking into this uh, this individual's background to bring us to this day. So the thing I've been trying to, all weekend long, I'm trying to figure out, is this really the first time? Because he said suspect. He said suspect. You know, they have other gradations, right? Person of interest, this, that, and the other thing. I think it was... Uh, I think this is the first time, and that's what he's really trying to convey here. It's the first time. Rex Hoyerman, and he fits it to a T, to a T. And by the way, just driving around uh, Massapequa Park, you could have sent a detective and said, hey, why don't we go around Massapequa Park and just look at all the houses and figure out, take a wild guess where the serial killer lives. I think that they would have probably, that would have been the house. Okay, right? I mean, they're so specific about Massapequa Park, and we have the FBI to thank that. Now, did they share? Was the FBI sharing the information back in 2012? I cannot believe. I I would never. I cannot even. Fa- no, I'm not even going to entertain the idea that they did not share this with the locals. Right? They had to have shared it with the locals. But I am trying to figure out what the hell was going on. Now, Suffolk PD. Hey, we love the cops, but they've had some big problems. Who was that commissioner they had for a while? It was uh, Burke, right? Wasn't he like, uh, what the hell did that guy do? Didn't he pistol whip somebody in custody and take out a bizarre sex toy? And this guy was quite the character. And um, I think they sent him to federal prison for a while. Yeah, but he was the man in that uh, in that department. And he was running this investigation for a while. Yeah. <laughs> And from what, I'm, um, what I'm hearing is that he was um, kind of fond of the um, women of the night as well. Uh, wow. All right. Um, we have another one, don't we? Let's uh, keep going here. Uh, but it, w- it wasn't until uh, March of, of, of 2022 uh, that that database uh, was, by, was, was, dis- was searched uh, by the, the task force, uh, and this individual uh, uh, was, was identified. Uh, that uh, that individual was uh, Rex Sherman, the defendant. Uh, and right away, there were some con- commonalities that came right to the fore. Rex Sherman, 6'4", largely uh, a large person, not necessarily uh, muscular, but a, a very uh, physically large person. Uh, he has glasses. Uh, he, has, he has that the dark hair. 
And also, a particular note, he owned at the time that first generation Chevy Avalanche. Uh, but there was more. Uh, he lived at 105 First Avenue, which was located within that box area that the FBI first uh, discovered in, in 2012. Uh, but there was more. Uh, also, he worked at the time at an architect, as an ar and, uh, he owned his own architectural firm uh, at an address at 19 West 36th Street in Mid Midtown Manhattan. And that was also the area of interest that was identified by the FBI in 2012. 2012. Now, I know from documentaries, just watching documentaries on, uh, you know, Dateline NBC that he took the Long Island Railroad all the time. That he, t I didn't know that they had it narrowed down to Massapequa Park. Did you? All right. So the cops on duty right now, the ones who are part of this task force, they get the assignment in February. They figure it out in March that they've got this guy Hoyerman and then they start building the case, building the case, building the case. You don't want to just find the guy. You want to convict him. And I understand that, but <laughs> I also understand, I think, clearly, unless somebody can explain to me, you know, am I missing something here? Is there, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking? Well, you know what? Sometimes you got to do some of that. So there's a, so you don't screw up the next time. And I have a feeling there may have been an over-reliance on computers. You know, technology is great. It's taken us very far, but we can't let our basic skills be sacrificed or atrophy or deteriorate in the meantime, it's, it can't just all be up to the computer. And I think more and more that's what, that's what we're doing. And I'll explain. There's one key thing that may or may not have been done. I suspect it was not done that you and I can do from home, but somehow they couldn't do, they couldn't do it the, the headquarters. I'll be right back with that. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Yes, it is, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> wow. You want to hear what this guy sounds like? I just saw this this morning. This is new. Uh, some woman, uh, she's an architect. I don't know. She was in a networking group, like one of those LinkedIn groups that meet in real life. I guess that happens sometimes. And Hoyerman, um, the architect, what kind of – I saw the firm. I saw his little space there on that YouTube video. That YouTube video. Come on. What was that all about? Why did that guy come all the way over from France to interview this guy and talk about, uh, you know, what kind of nails he liked, right? That didn't make any sense. Was, was that law enforcement? Was that something else? Um, more power to him if, um, they, uh, they were, I know they were onto it by then. That thing was made, I think, in March, right around the time they, they figured out it was Rex Hoyerman. Anyway, here he is trying to be, um, I don't know what he's trying to be. Let's go. Ready? Uh, this woman made the voicemail that, he left her public today. Hey, this is Rex um, from the BNI group. I, I actually heard you are no longer part of the group, but I still wanted to talk to you. I had a question for you. Um, I also wanted to touch base. So if you get an opportunity, you can always find me at the office or feel free to use my cell. Uh, hope you're doing good. Hope to talk to you soon. Thanks. Uh, I think you wanted to hook up. I think you wanted to feel her out. Are you into the same kinky stuff that I'm in, into? I think that's where that was going. Can I hear the rest? This is Rex. It's like very much like, hey, this is a big guy, right? This is Rex. One more time. Hey, this is Rex. Whoa, Rex, of course. Wow, this is Rex. Hey, this, this is Rex. Yeah, all right. Click. Um, Rex. Uh, 
Rex. Uh, Jennifer, is this true? All right, are you telling me the truth? I got a note here that you live on the same block as uh, the guy. What block is that, by the way? No, I'm I'm on I'm one block north of him, actually. What block is that? First Avenue. Uh, okay, good enough for me. So, what's going on? Did you know him? No, I did not know him. Saw him many times tinkering outside in his front yard on cars, working on things. Um, and he just had that reputation of just uh, the the worst house on the block in the neighborhood. Um, you know, my my big thing for calling basically is just to say our neighborhood has just become nothing but a sightseeing um, event for, I mean, literally this weekend we had hundreds of people, hundreds I know. of R- people R- coming R- up and down our block, but our neighborhood, it's not gonna, you know, disturbing us. It's not going to last. Our, it's not, not going to last forever. I mean, Jennifer, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of interest in this thing. They're going to move on. They're going to all go away. I know Rudy Giuliani dropped by over the weekend. Did you see him? I heard. I know I didn't, but I did hear that. Yeah, I heard he was here. So are you complaining about it or what? No, I'm not, I'm not complaining. I just want people to just understand that, you know, there are other people here also and to just kind of um, just just keep that in mind when they're coming to see and coming to view and coming to to see what's going on. You know what they're um, probably going to do at some point? They're going to tear down the house. This happens a lot with serial killers in their houses. It happened with um, John Wayne Gacy's house. It happened with, um, hey, who remembers Kelly Tinez? Kelly Tinez. Was that in Valley Stream? Robert Golub? I think they took that house down. They do this. They do this. Hey, Jennifer, I got a couple more quick questions for you. You mind sticking around? Sure. All right. Fascinating. So you saw the guy. You saw tinkering around on his lawn. I heard he's been gardening. What kind of gardening was he doing? It was a mess. It was all a mess. And again, I'm sorry, but... A lot of this is 10 years too late. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Now, the other thing, uh, the Sanford, no, Suffolk County Police put out some information in 2020. And this was one of the most bizarre press conferences, I thought, actually, and in retrospect, even more bizarre. So they put out a belt, a picture of a belt that they say was found at the scene of one of the earlier crimes, right? And they think it's a belt that was used by by the guy himself, by the killer, okay? And it has an initial on it, W W H. Depends how you look at it. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah, W H uh H W uh H M H M, right? H M. And this is what she says, okay? Here's here here she is. Go ahead. We are releasing the first piece of new information that will be featured on the website. A significant piece of evidence found at one of the crime scenes along Ocean Parkway. A black leather belt embossed with the letters HM or WH was recovered during the initial stages of this investigation. We believe that the belt was handled by the suspect and did not belong to any of the victims. We are hopeful that this photograph will bring somebody forward with information about the origin of that article. 
In addition to this newly released image, we are optimistic that scientific advances will also bring new information to light. Well, all right, here's the weird thing. Here's the unconscionable thing in my book. I mean, they were asked, point blank, well, how big is the belt? What's the length of the belt? And they wouldn't say. They would not tell us the length of the belt. Was it a 44? Was it a 54? Was it a 26? I think, like, you got the belt. Okay, if we knew it was 44 inches or 50 inches, that's a big guy, right? I mean, <laughs> they're, they're just so strange about what they put out, what they don't put out. I'm talking about people in positions of authority across the board, in part because the media have proven themselves to be so, uh, well, reckless, stupid, and more than ever, inexperienced these days, right? So you can't, part of me understands they don't want to trust the media, but you got to trust the public. If some of this stuff had been crowdsourced, I mean, if they put out, okay, hey, Twitter, help us figure this out. Well, there's a, there's a Chevy Angel Avalanche driven by some six foot five guy, and we think he lives possibly in Massapequa Park. How long would, would it take Twitter to figure that out? Not long. Hey, Jennifer, stand by. Uh, J- uh, Jennifer, you still there? Hi. Yes. Hi, still here. You know, it's, it's very scary to think, you know, that we're so close in, in vicinity to this guy with all the guns in this house and whatever else was going on. Um, very, very scary thought. Well, uh, so when's the last time you saw him? Uh, last week, actually. Um, I drove by there on my way to work and... He was sitting on his front lawn in a lawn chair, just sitting there, um, not really doing anything, just sitting there. Now, that's weird. I mean, I've seen the house. I've seen the front lawn. It's not really set up for uh, for that kind of activity, right? I mean, it's not like he had a – right on the lawn, not on the porch, but on the lawn. What was he what was he, what was he, what was he wearing? I, I really can't, nothing that really stood out. Um, Did he look at you? Did he glare there. at you? Um, I can't even say. I know I looked at him because it was just kind of odd for him to just be sitting there in the middle of nowhere, not doing anything, just sitting there. Um, did you ever meet his wife or uh, adult child? No, but um, a neighbor of mine, the son, was friends with the brother. The son was, fr- yeah, he is a brother. I believe his brother's name is Craig, who's a couple of years younger in his mid-50s and lives, I think, in South Carolina. And, oh, by the way, I got to say this about the family. I always, you know, my heart breaks for uh, the victims and the victims' families. It also breaks a bit for the uh, the relatives of the accused because this is a totally unthinkable place to be. I mean, both scenarios are unthinkable, but at least with one, you get some sympathy and public support. The other, not so much. It's a very strange place. It's got to be the weirdest place in the world. So, um, all right, did the block ever get together and think, hey, we got to write this guy a letter, you know, the block association, and say, you got to clean up your yard? Every now and then you hear about that. Did anything like that happen? Now, actually, I, w- I was always wondering why nothing happened because Massapequa Park is an incorporated village, and if you – put your fence facing the wrong way or put your garbage out too soon, you hear about it. So I was always wondering why is this house allowed to continue the way it is? And by the way, apparently he was one of these guys who loved to file frivolous lawsuits 
you know, oh, you uh, you hit me with your car. That'll be five million dollars. And he was like, he, he filed like five lawsuits in about three years looking for big payouts. I wonder what kind of architect the house. The house is just so strange. I mean, who? And he's lived there his whole life, right? Since the day he was born. That that house has been like that since we moved in, which is thirty years ago. You know, it's every every neighborhood has a house like that, though. I knew there was a house like that in my neighborhood. It was a couple of blocks away. We could not figure it out. It was so dilapidated and weird, and uh, kind of spooky and scary. But uh, and it turned out, I remember the people living inside. I was told that they were lawyers. That they were lawyers and they were normal people. I mean, like, but obviously not normal. Well, uh, Jennifer, that's uh, that's pretty wild. You never know what life is going to bring you, and uh, it, it 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 set it's a curveball for you. Anything else we should know? No, that's honestly that's about all that I know. He's outside a lot, frequently doing work on cars, work on it. Believe it or not, work on this house. Um. But yeah, always, always outside. Did you ever something. notice? Did you ever notice the type of car? You know, they 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 took off. They took a Avalanche, a Chevy Avalanche. I don't know if it was the same one he had in 2010. It actually looked newer to me, but who knows? The car he has now is the same car he apparently had in 2010 when he was picking up these girls. Uh, can you believe that? Did you ever notice the car? No, never, never noticed. Cars. It's not the kind of thing you would notice. It's not, it's, yeah, it's not a, it's yeah. not a remarkable car. Although I know he had an old timey car under a tarp. I don't know what kind of car that was. Well, Jennifer, I know this, uh, must be kind of really weird, but it's going to blow over. And, uh, at, at one point, this will be a distant memory. I mean, at one point, nobody will know. Nobody will even think about it. That's hard to believe. You know, I, I've got a thing for true crime. And not too long ago, you know what I did? I went up to, um, the house of Bruno Hopman. Anybody who knows who that is? Of course not. Well, he's the guy who kidnapped the Lindbergh baby. And his house is up there, I think, on 268th Street or something like that in the Bronx, near Co-op City. And I went there, and I took pictures, and I went to the garage. And I'm like, this, is a, this was the biggest house in the universe. And somebody came up to me and uh, uh, in Spanish at first. And they said, well, what are you doing? What are you going on? And I try to explain the case. and it, like, the, So it's all going to evaporate. Not for a while, but it will. Jennifer, I appreciate it, okay? Have a good one. My best to your neighbors. That's a very strange position. I hope the press will behave themselves, and they should behave themselves. Uh, they're known for not behaving themselves. <laughs> so um, I feel your pain, Jennifer, seriously. Thank you so much. Have okay. a great day, and thanks for all that you do. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. James Slippin joins us. You know what I mean about the press. They come in. They walk on the lawn. Yeah. They, you know, They're just kind of conspicuously obnoxious and i think they kind of like are proud of that sometimes uh i i that might be the case i think that you make a good point in the sense that in the news industry it's so much about the next story the next story wipe rinse repeat you know it's just whatever's new and whatever's next and you forget sometimes that there's real people living in these communities and in these settings and in this you know it's it's their everyday life it's not just a news headline, you know, and I think that call that you just took from Jennifer really brought that home. You know, there's this, though, why there may not be the level of interest that you fear. This is not like the Amityville Horror House, where all the killings took place inside the house. Right. Now, I've been by that house 50 times. <laughs> not 50, but I've been by it. Upwards of, yeah. I've been by it, and uh, every time I pass it on the uh, every time on the Southern State Parkway, I see Amityville. I'm like, should I check it out? Mm. I just want, but this house, nobody, as far as we know, died there. It's just the way this guy lived, so I don't know if it will be the same level of curiosity. 
You know, there's this weird macabre, whatever you want to call it, kind of curiosity that we all have. James, you've been listening to some of the stuff we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's next for this defendant? I hear August 1st. Yeah, he's due back in court on August 1st. Uh, I keyed in on something you mentioned, actually, which I didn't know, that Hewerman's brother lives down in South Carolina. Yeah. You know, that's where the Chevy Avalanche that was allegedly used at the time of the killings was actually recovered by police in South Carolina. We learned that from the district attorney this morning when he was on with Sid Rosenberg. He basically said, oh, yeah, we found that avalanche through a search warrant down in South Carolina. At the time, I was thinking, South Carolina, what's that all about? They told me it was a family member in a follow-up email. It's And by the way, the brother, Craig, who's 57 years old, so it was down there. Uh, That's interesting. That's interesting. And good for for Sid, but the... It was sold, apparently, or something like that. So maybe he sold it to his brother. Okay. All right. There's this also I'm hearing. So why didn't it pop up? Avalanche. Possibly because of the South Carolina thing. And also, it may have been mischaracterized by the DMV as a um, as a station wagon and not a pickup. Mm. Or as a sport utility vehicle, mm-hmm. not a pickup. Or mm-hmm. as a pickup, whatever. There was, oops, what the hell is this? Oh, sorry. Um, the other thing is the brother, Craig, allegedly or I think this is now a matter of public record, ran over a cop yeah. in, like, 1988. Yeah, right, I read that, yes. Uh, which is just a, a bizarre. I mean, I think it didn't run him over. He was in a car accident. Uh, Hoyerman was under the influence, frontal uh, collision with a cop coming the other way. Wow. Weird, weird. Um, hey, hold on a second. So this is, uh, let's go through the tyranny stuff uh, that we, uh, cut 21, if you don't mind, cut 21. We formed the task force. Oh, no, 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 no. Stop that. I want to hear the, uh, uh, let's try this one. Cut one. Cut one. I'm standing here with uh, my law enforcement partners in the Gilgo Task Force uh, to announce uh, the the indictment of defendant Rex Andrew Heerman, 59 years of age. Uh, He's been arrested by the Suffolk County uh, Police Department's homicide detectives, and he's been indicted uh, in a grand jury uh, presentation by the the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office uh, for the murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. All right. I want to go to uh, now this is the uh, the morning show. This is Sid. Cut 21. We formed the task force. No, that's not the right one, guys. I'm sorry. Where is the one that you say when he was speaking to Sid this morning? Whenever you find it, let me know. It's cool. Um, you want to hear the voicemail again? No, let's skip well, that. I'll, what? I'll just be a servant as a stand-in for some of that sound. Basically, you know, he told Sid that the discovery in March of, I think it was either 2020 or 2021, when they determined that Hewerman was connected to that avalanche. 2022. 2022. Just was last really the, Was the breakthrough. That's what he described as yeah. the breakthrough. And that's what we, we heard that on Friday. But the, the problem that I have, and I think that they have, they fixed a problem. They should have caught that earlier. They should have caught that earlier. The pimp. One of these women worked for, you know, you, when you're a prostitute, often there's a pimp. And guess what? The pimp, you know, there's good and bad in everybody. <laughs> Pimps are some of the most exploitive, most wretched people in the world. But this one guy, you know, his eyes were peeled, and he was thinking of robbing him. According to uh, reports, the pimp wanted to rob Hoyerman, but thought, okay, this guy's too big for me. I'm not going to mess with him. So watched him drive off in the car, which he noted had the triangular window. Shortly thereafter, the police contact him. 
And he says, this is probably somebody you want to look at. He's a weirdo, and he's got this type of car with the triangle window. That's That information is almost 13 years old. Avalanche, big guy, six foot five. It's no, 11 years old is the information about the phone calls coming from Massapequa Park. I think it's this stuff with the computer, the reliance on the computer. I told you that there was a, you know, they may have mischaracterized the car, not the cops, but the DMV. So if it doesn't come up in the computer, that's it. If it's not in the computer, that's it. You know, sometimes you got to take a pen in the paper and just look at every single house. I, I don't know. There's got to be another way. Or you don't just look for the computer to tell you something. You put it all up. And this is something I asked a very prominent investigator over the weekend. I said, well, what about actually just putting this stuff up, you know, on a big wall, right? I mean, obviously you do that. He's like, you'd be surprised. Mm. I'm like, what do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> you only have so many offices. You only have, right? So you put it all in a computer. So it's all in the computer? I can't use a computer. What do I want to do with a computer? I want to put it up on the wall. I don't use a computer. When I do my shows, I don't do use computers. Right. It's crazy how the criminal profiles, to, the profilers, I should say, totally nailed what they thought this guy was going to be. Yeah, but, you know, to a point. You know what I mean? I mean, like, all serial killers kind of fit a certain profile. Yeah, I they mean, said South Shore, family man, you know, a professional, uh, you know, highly accomplished guy. Well, I would have liked to have seen a bit more, you know, <laughs> the profiles are there often after the fact. Yeah, this is exactly what we said it was going to be. Mm. I mean, I've seen that a million times. The FBI, they're famous for this, and they exploit it, to be honest. It, 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 it adds to their mythology, right? We predicted he was going to be wearing a double-breasted suit. Well, great. Did, you, did that help get the guy? All this profiling it apparently did not help that. No, that's fair. What helped was just looking at the evidence that they uncovered in good old-fashioned police work. Right. Going to a witness, getting information, um, the FBI with their technology, figuring out where those calls were being made. And it's amazing. And again, D.A. Tierney, District Attorney Tierney, uh, the police commissioner, Rodney Harrison. He, they come in there like a breath of fresh air, those guys, and say, let's stand up a new task force and we're going to work together and we're going to find this. And we're going to look at everything we got. And we and they did it and they did it. And that is to be applauded, but we can't just gloss over this stuff. I'm sorry. And uh, there's just other things that b- before those guys came on the scene that have to be addressed. And uh, I think we've got to ask some more questions. Uh, thank you, James. We'll be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. She wants our country to survive, so it's not for me. Greg Kelly over at Newsmax. The Newsmax people have been really, really terrific. Hey, how's that, huh? It's Donald Trump speaking over the weekend. President Trump about me. He's, of course, a great friend of WABC. He was on uh, the radio a couple of times over the past couple of months talking to John, talking to Sid, talking to others uh, who work here. It's great. And, uh, wow, that's pretty cool. My phone blew up, you know, because I was... uh, I forgot. What was I doing? I was just chilling. I was just um, in the kitchen with my wife, and then all of a sudden, we weren't watching TV. Um, when the most famous man in the universe says your name, um, you, <laughs> people tell you uh, that, that that just happened. Hey, John Ray is with us. John Ray, uh, the attorney from Long Island who has been uh, representing the families of some of the victims in this horrible Gilgo Beach matter. He's been all over this case in the earliest stages, a very powerful, strong advocate for the families. 
Hey, John, uh, how are you, and um, what's going on? I'm, I'm deeply stressed by the four days of nonstop of this case going on in, in the media and everywhere. I mean, I, I, I'm taking calls until midnight and later. It's just unbelievable. So it's been it's been an experience, shall I say? Well, it's um, look. Oh shoot! Is that the music? No, we got time. Look, I'm frustrated. I feel like there should have been a movement on this <laughs> ten years ago, based on what I'm hearing. What are you hearing, and how do you feel about that? Yeah, there's there's a, a groundswell of media uh, people making that same question or posing that same question and focusing on it. And so it's not I who am just bringing it to the fore. It's the public itself, eventually, I think. And the question is, is inevitable, really. What, you know, where uh, Ray Tierney and, and Rodney Harrison could put together a team with the FBI, uh, who had always been kept in the background, and, and in, in a matter of a few weeks, already have a major lead would automatically suggest and begs the question, well, why couldn't they have done this? Uh, not they, but the, the police department have, have done this uh, kind of work before that. And, you know, I, I've struggled with that problem of the police department's resistance to investigation all the way back to 2011, December, when I first came into the case for Shannon Gilbert's family. And now I represent also Jessica Taylor's family. And we've experienced this problem in the past. So I think this needs to be, there is an inquiry that needs to be made in and something needs to be learned about why this happened. I got to tell you, I see a little bit of dancing around. I don't see too many people. You say the people in the public, look, I'm asking the questions. I see something in the UK Daily Mail. I, I don't see where are you seeing these questions that I think are legitimate and need to be asked. And again, thank God for Commissioner Harrison and D.A. Tierney. Uh, but before they arrived, you know, there was some um, serious mistakes. Where are you seeing these questions being raised? They're being raised with me by the media people who are calling me ceaselessly. And in the last uh, two days out of the, you know, since since Friday, the, the the question keeps becoming the the question in the forefront when they interview me and speak with me. So that's you know maybe they haven't put it on TV yet or or, or, or on the computer or in streaming or whatever. Yeah, no, they're they're warming up to it. Listen, John Ray, uh, I'm I'm sorry we're out of time. Would you join us later this week? Um, and yeah, sure. uh, and by the way, our best to the to the families that you have been serving and representing so well. Thank you, sir, John Ray. Everybody. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Wow. <laughs> I am uh I am still just amazed. I am just amazed by it all. I am amazed by it all. And um and I do know this that um well, Hoyerman, what a monster, huh? What the hell kind of person calls you kill somebody? That's horrible, right? I mean, it's just the big deal. Then you kill multiple people, and then you call the family to brag about what you did and taunt them. Hoyerman called uh, the family of uh, Barthelme, Barthelme up in Buffalo and using the dead woman's cell phone. So they think they're getting a call from their missing 
daughter and sister. But it's this maniac on the phone. And he's making these calls from Midtown Manhattan. And they were able to figure that out, that the calls are coming from Midtown Manhattan at, very, at a very early stage, very early on. I mean, her cell phone had just gone missing. And they were able to figure it out. Hey, I don't know. The burner phone. Have you ever bought a burner, burner phone? Has anybody ever bought a burner phone? I guess you can go into the drugstore and buy these phones that are, hey, uh, they're not that anonymous. And that's actually, that's actually good. Uh, what else about that? Um, you know, is it weird that, you know, let's face it, everybody does something wrong at one point or another. You get into an argument, you know, you, you, you mishandle something. What did I do the other day? I get, uh, what did I do? I, I've done plenty of stuff. You know what I mean? And just like, you know, you don't get along with some, whatever it is, whatever it is. And you feel like a low life. You didn't handle something well. Everybody feels like a prince compared to this serial killer, right? We're all like better. We're, we all, we all know we're not going to ever do. I mean, doesn't, does it do anything for your self esteem or does it make you just depressed about the condition of humanity? I, I don't know. Hey, we have this thing now from the DA from this morning, right? No, you still working on it? Uh, let me know. Just let me know. You're, uh, okay. Wait, James Flippin has it. Anyway, I'm uh, very curious about this. It's the South Carolina angle to this story. All right, here it is. So, wait, before we start, the avalanche that Hoyerman was using back in 2007, 2010 or so, uh, he thought he was beating the rap, and in a weird way, I guess he kind of did for a long time by sending it down to South Carolina with his brother. All right, go ahead. March 14th, when we settled on on this defendant as as an owner of a uh, that avalanche, uh, living in, in that area, working in mid- midtown Manhattan with that physical description, that was sh- certainly the, the watershed moment. Well, Nancy said to me this morning, uh, no disrespect, again, I, I think you're the best, and congratulations, but she said, how is it possible that this car has been sitting in front of this man's house in Massapequa Park for 10 years, and you guys just figured it out in March of two years ago? Uh, well, the, the car was recovered in South Carolina. So, uh, you know, but the, you know, the information w- was out there. I, I think what, what people, you know, we came on board January of 2022 and we have to look at 13 years of, of material. So even, you know, the prior investigators, it's not just that this is one piece of, of information. There's thousands upon thousands of pieces of information. And that's why you need great investigators. You need good collaboration and you need constant interaction and work with, with your prosecutors. Hmm. You know, sometimes you don't know what you know. You know, you got all this information and then it becomes like this big logistical burden. How do we, how do we decipher this? What do we, you know, you got all this stuff in a filing cabinet. You need people to go through the filing cabinet or people to go through the computer. Uh, that is interesting. So the, the, the car was not in, we don't know when it got to South Carolina. Oh, by the way, you know, people have found, uh, on Google Maps, you can find a Chevrolet from, uh, what is it called again? The avalanche sitting in front of the guy's house in 2011. And again, we had the information all the way back, uh, well, a long time ago. And maybe he, did he replace it with another avalanche? And just because he doesn't have the avalanche anymore, well, he did have an avalanche. Uh, yes, there are many, 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 many thousands of pieces of information. And sometimes there's, there's too much. Um, Terry, hello. Greg, great show. Before hey, Terry, I, I got to put you on hold for a second, okay? All right? I, I, it sounds like I'm hanging up, but I'm just going to put you on hold for an hour. 
Okay. See you later. Um, let's go to uh, Dave in Pennsylvania. Hi. Hey, hi, Greg. Hey, I've been following this uh, since it uh, popped up. And what I'm wondering, I didn't hear anything at all about um, how it didn't bring up a flag about all the guns this guy had. Now, I have a few weapons, and when I bought them, I had to go through federal and state background checks. So this stuff's in a database. And they're saying this guy had, what, 100 guns or something? I haven't heard. 92, 92. Okay. Was this part of the profile with him? I mean, wouldn't you think it, this would bring up a flag? Having 92 guns, if they're legal, not necessarily. No. I mean, look, I'm telling you, the stuff that I think should have raised the flag, a six-foot-five guy with glasses uh, who likes prostitutes, who lives in a massive equal park and drives an avalanche. All right, how many of those guys exist? I think it's just one. So I think that they should have been able to connect the dots much earlier. Again, thank God for Tierney and Harrison and the guys who came in and brushed it off. I mean, I'm sorry, but South Car- what do you call it? Suffolk County Police, for a long time, have one of the most notoriously poorly run departments in the world by that guy, Burke, B-U-R-K-E. I mean, he was torturing, torturing prisoners. As the chief, he goes down there and he pistol whips somebody. And what guy, and they all knew the guy was nuts. So that's a really crazy thing. So I, I, I mean, the guns, that's really kind of neither here nor there. He wasn't using these guns and executing anything, right? They weren't part of the crime. I don't know. I don't, I don't, uh, that's not the uh, missing piece for me. I mean, it's a little bit oddball, 92 guns. I mean, that is a little bit, uh, out there. Anyway, Dave, thank you. Um, uh, do we want to hear this guy's voice again? First of all, can we hear the, the thing he did on that crazy show, the French TV show? Why the hell would the French TV show be interested in him? Why would, why would French TV come to interview this guy? That's very strange because it wasn't like he was an architect who built buildings. You need architects for all kinds of things. You know, I, I saw one of his jobs was he was renovating a fire escape in the Bronx. I mean, that's not exactly the most glamorous work in the world. It has to be done. But it's not exactly designing, um, you know, that pyramid in front of the Louvre in Paris, right? It's, uh, you know, it's you need people who do this stuff. Hey, let's skip that for now. Did you hear about the weather person on Channel 2? Um, Elise, terrible, Elise Finch, dead at the age of 51. I noticed her just a couple of weeks ago. Very, very great television presence, really knew her stuff. Very warm, and uh, she died. I'm not sure how, but she died over the weekend. Here she is doing the weather. Can we hear her doing the weather, please? The rest of us, yes, very unusual and, yeah, dangerous stuff. So for us here at home, we're dealing with the heat, the humidity, air quality issues as of this afternoon and, of course, the threat of severe weather. So let's go ahead and take a look. I want to show you we're taking a live look outside. So that's just 10 days ago. That was just 10 days ago. That she was doing the weather on TV, and she's dead, and she's 51 years old. Now, I want to point something out. She was working the morning shift. There's something about the morning shift. There's something about shift work in general, all right? And I think about this all the time. I mean, it. you can go to the CDC, and they talk about that as being a major life stressor that can jeopardize your health. This is the third woman in local New York City television to drop dead in the past couple of years. Did you know that? 
three morning television anchor slash reporters, female, have dropped dead. There was Elise Finch, most recently. Catherine Craig, 47 years old, NBC field reporter, dropped dead in 2021, February of 2021. A few years before that, Lisa Calagrassi, 49 years old, Channel 7 field reporter, died in March of 2015 at work. Uh, that's three. That's a crazy number for a very small pool of uh, employees. And part of it, I really do think, is the shift work, because these uh, morning reporters and uh, some of them have to come in at like 2.30 in the morning. It's crazy. It's my, I mean, it's just crazy. It's nuts. And what else do they have to do? Now, these women, uh, I think they were all mothers. And they also have, they're in television that's very competitive and it's very stressful and it's very frustrating. The pay isn't so hot, not as hot as you might think. And I think there's this pressure that people have in television, especially women, to maintain their appearance. And I think you put those things together and it can be very, very unhealthy. Uh, I don't think anybody should have to work. And I, I, I know you're saying, well, postal workers and all kinds of people and truck drivers, they work those years. Yes, they do. They don't have the added, uh, pressure of the, you know, looking a certain way on television. I think that makes it a little bit easier. Um, imagine that raising a, a family and working those crazy hours. That's gotta be tough. Did it lead to their uh, death? I don't know that, but I suspect it played a big role. I'm really sorry about that. Elise Finch, 51 years old, did the weather over there on Channel 2, and they had some really beautiful tributes to her. Um, very sad, and I, I just calls to mind again, Catherine Craig and Lisa Calagrassi, three women in local New York television um, over the past couple of years. You know, the Concorde, the SST, became the most dangerous plane in the world when it crashed once. One crash made it the most, well, how can that be? It only crashed once and had been flying since the 1970s. Well, based on the number of flight hours, you have one mishap. It was flying a lot less than other airplanes. The mishap rate after one mishap became like one of the most dangerous airplanes ever built. And if you have three women in the same job uh, dying, <laughs> that becomes kind of like on paper. What do you call those guys who crunch the numbers? Actuaries? I think they could say something about this. Maybe I should bring one in. What, what What's the likelihood of three of them dying like that? I think it's off the charts, and it makes that job very, very dangerous. A very dangerous job. I think there's got to be awareness. I think there's got to be some concessions and accommodations made, especially for mothers, especially for women. Um, nobody should have to work that shift for more than – I look, you got to work – you want to have the morning news. I get it. Okay, great. But can't they rotate it? Can't they have more than one person do that job? Rotate it, perhaps? Uh, I'm just thinking out loud here. Uh, but that's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty chilling in my book. Uh, all right. I want to go to Dan for a moment in, uh, Stanford. You got something to say about an avalanche? What? Hey, Greg. Um, I've owned two avalanches for about the last 15 years, and um, different DMVs, you're right, they do classify them differently. Um, but it is a very distinct car, and they're pretty rare. How, do they, how does the DMV d- 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 uh, dis- d- list them? 
So I've seen it listed as suburban, which is SUV. I've seen it passenger and I think pickup as well. Yeah, it's a little bit of a hybrid. It's a little bit, could be this, could be that, could be this, could be that. I think it's a pickup truck. You know, I kind mean, of. I mean, no, b- bottom line, that's a pickup truck with a, with a slightly, you know, interesting cab, but that's a pickup. I guess because the pickup is so bit is so small that you could argue that it's not a real pickup truck. Is that it? The, the, the thing is the, the pickup bed is covered, so it doesn't really look like your average pickup. Um, how much do those things cost? I always bought them used. My the last one I bought was like twenty five thousand. They don't make them anymore. They made them they between. They made them from the thirteen. Uh, two thousand one to two thousand thirteen. Yeah, and I looked it up. I mean, I'm like, how many of these cars can there be? There are a lot. You know, they made fifty thousand in two thousand one. I think eighty thousand in two thousand two. So, but there are only so many on the road at any given time. Anyway, I I still think they should have been able to find it earlier. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, I gotta go. I'll be right back. Thank you. Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Hey, uh, Mike Pence, is he going to quit today or tomorrow? <laughs> Mike Pence, I knew he couldn't be president. I mean, number one, he was just too wooden and weird and uh, and self-righteous for... <sighs> on January 6th, I was in a parking lot, and it was a nightmare as I stood there in a parking lot. Um... I always thought he was phony, and now I realize he doesn't care about you, and he doesn't care about me. So Mike Pence is going on and on the other day about how we need to be giving more to Ukraine and faster. They're not getting the weapons uh, fast enough. We should be giving them right F-16s, uh, drones, uh, you, uh, tanks, you name it. You know, just give it to them plus cash, right? And he's being interviewed by Tucker Carlson, and Tucker at one point is like, hey, cut the crap. <laughs> Are you serious here? Listen to what goes down. Cut 12. And we need to, I'm sorry, Mr. Vice President. Have you? I know you're running for president. You are distra- you. you are distressed notice. that the Ukrainians don't have enough American tanks. Every city in the United States has become much worse over the past three years. Yeah. Drive around. There's not one city that's gotten better in the United States, right. and it's visible. Our economy has degraded. The suicide rate has jumped. Public filth and disorder and crime have exponentially increased. Right. And yet, your concern is that the Ukrainians, a country most people can't find on a map, who've received tens of billions of U.S. tax dollars, don't have enough tanks. It's a fair question to ask, like, where's the concern for the United States in that? Well, it's not my concern. (laughs) Tucker, I've heard that routine from you before, but that's not my concern. Now, what in the hell was he saying that for? What, what, what? Now, some part of me was wondering, is this like some sort of fake out? Did somebody edit this in a clever way? Apparently, no. This is what he said. He's talking about Americans suffering, the economy suffering, and cities going downhill. What about concern for that? Well, that's not my concern. That's not my concern. It's 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 Ukraine. And wearing these uh, flags all the time. I mean, gee whiz, what a crazy thing to say. And uh, he's right, by the way, Tucker. Most Americans can't find uh, Ukraine on a map. I've tried this before. You know, you can get maps without any country names on it. Give it to somebody and watch what happens. Give it to me and watch what happens. I'll have one hell of a time figuring out what uh, the difference between Poland and Ukraine on a map. I'm sorry. If they don't tell me the name, Diego, could you do it? 
right? Nobody, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. Now Ukraine is a lot bigger. Now I know. By this point, I know. I know which one Ukraine, but I didn't know right off the bat. And, uh, I mean, that's not necessarily the criteria for whether or not we should be, you know, throwing money, but there's gotta be a limit. And what about peace? What about peace? No one's talking about peace. You know who's talking about peace, though. You know who's been talking about peace. Trump, and he sat down with Maria Bartiromo, and let's uh, uh, cut eight. The election over a year away and the first GOP primary debate uh, a month or so away. Will you be on that stage? Are you participating in the upcoming debate? Well, you know, it's a uh, quite an easy question normally. Uh, Ronald Reagan didn't do it, and a lot of other people didn't do it. When you have a big lead, you don't do it. And we have a lead of 50 and 60 points in some cases, and uh, some of these people are at zero. Uh, Ron DeSanctis, as I call him, or DeSanctimonious, is down to, uh, he's in the teens now, and I'm at 50 and 60 and 65, and even I saw one today at 70. And so you're leading people by 50 and 60 points, and you say, why would you be doing a debate? It's not. It's- yeah, why would you? And he doesn't have to. I'll be right back. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Uh, what is knob? Knob whiskey, K N O B. Knob. Anybody ever hear of knob? There's a great big jug of the stuff that they the uh, the cops took out of the house, uh, Hoyerman's house. Knob. I'm not saying that. You know, a lot of people have been bringing up uh, pornography, actually. You know, the guy had the, the horrible, dark, weird, illegal taste in pornography. We saw what he was Googling, right? I mean, the unspeakable uh, horror show of stuff that this guy was seeking out. And John Ray uh, recently actually pointed out the attorney who's been working for the families, with the families, advocating for them. You know, he thinks and uh, he has reason to believe that uh, pornography was kind of what may have uh, brought a lot of this on, you know, it starts soft, literally soft porn in, in high school and then got degenerate uh, more and more uh, intense over the years. And uh, that's what he thinks that may have uh, played a role here. Uh, then it, you got to keep going and going and going to uh, get your fix. And it's got to be weirder and stranger. And we have this a woman named Catherine Shepard, very ordinary, uh, very, I shouldn't say ordinary, very nice uh, person. Looks like she's an interior designer and knew him for uh, a number of years and was quite friendly with him. And um, she's a very attractive young woman. And now she says that this is like Dexter. Anybody ever watch that show, Dexter? It's about a serial killer, right, who's like charming in real life and has friends, uh, but he's a, he's a serial killer. And she likens it to that. Uh, let's see. She's 47 years old now, worked with Horman for five years, spent three hours assessing his Massapequa Park, New York home for a renovation project back in 2005. Just one of several close interactions she had with him um, that have kept her awake at night since last week. She described how she had developed a friendly working relationship with the 59-year-old architect. They got a bunch of pictures of them together with other colleagues at a bar, Pete's Tavern. Uh, Hoyerman took her to a firing range in the Bronx where they shot guns. He taught her how to fire a 9mm handgun. She once slipped on the ice. Hoyerman brought her to the hospital and then brought her home. Um, but she's uh, measuring his house for this assessment. That's what she does. And she would not be allowed by him into the basement room where he kept all of his guns. There was a room and he got very antsy and weird and would not let that, would not let her in there. And she kind of had a feeling something was up. 
Uh, Hoyerman has lived at the property since the 1980s with his wife, Asa Ellerup, and has two children. I've heard different things about that. I mean, he grew up in the house. I heard that. So that would be, when was he born? 1964? And that he grew up in the house. Uh, now I'm hearing it's the 1980s. Well, uh, what a strange thing. Has, has that ever happened to you? Have you ever run into somebody who turned out to be a killer? Uh, never in my life that I know of. No, no. I did once meet a guy who was a friend of mine who was stealing hundreds of thousands of dollars from, uh, the government. Uh, literally he was stealing cash from Iraq. I knew him for many years. I never would have suspected that. He seemed like a really squared away guy. Actually, he seemed very squared away. I thought he was going to be a general someday. And there he was stealing uh, money, cash, hundred dollar bills, um, from the, tr- just, just putting them in his suitcase and bringing them home. He was in Iraq and they were spreading money out like wildfire over there trying to win over the Iraqis. And he put a whole bunch in a, in a, in a sack. And then he mailed a bunch to, I think, uh, some friends back home. And then when he gets home, he gets all that money and he goes around town starting different bank accounts. $9,000 in this bank, $8,000 in that bank. He thought he was being cute, you know, keeping it under $10,000. Well, <laughs> after about 25 accounts, I started asking questions and, uh, he got nailed. That's, uh, that's, how do you sleep at night? You know what I mean? I run a red light. I can't sleep at night. I mean, how do you handle that kind of pressure? Rocco and Saratoga, hello. Hello. Let me take you to Sherlock School, first of all. First of all, on the uh, belt, I'll hit that right away. Have a couple other comments too. You disclose as little as possible. Oh, yeah, you think so, Rocco, huh? You think so. Not easy there, Rocco, all right? Now, wait, how do you know all this? Tell you why. I I want to know how you know. You went to what school? you You went to what school? Sherlock Holmes, I spy. There is no such school. There is no such school. You read a book and you saw a movie, and now you're telling uh, the police how to do their business. My uncle was chief of detectives. Oh, my, your uncle, all right, your uncle. Hey, I wrote a book about law enforcement. Did you? All right, well, talk to my uncle. He had the question. All right, I don't know. I have enough talking to you, Rocco. I don't know. I don't want to bring your uncle into the uh, picture. All right, I'm sorry. I'm just teasing. What else? What's the other big point? Why? The reason is the more you disclose, every Tom, Dick, and Harry who wants to get some publicity will come in. You know, they're going to get that anyway. They're going to get some of that anyway. Stop, stop, Rocco, stop. Look, if you think this thing was well handled from the get-go, I've got some lawyers and family members who would love to talk to you. Okay, John uh, John Ray, uh, the family of uh, Shanna Gilbert and the rest. All right, this thing was screwed up. They had basically a sex offender running the investigation for a long time. All right. Now there is a, there's a time and a place. I understand you can't tell the public everything. I I totally get that. But when you put the belt out, and this might be his initials, I think it would have been helpful to know what size it was. I think it might have been very helpful. All right. Instead, you're going to get. I mean, <laughs> you're going to get some cracks, but cranks. But you're also going to get some actually decent people calling with decent information potentially. Uh, all right, Rocco. Do not. Uh, I'll see you later. All right. I, I'm asking. All right. And, and not. It, there's no such thing as any detective. This is an art, not a science. This is an art, not a science. It's not. There's a lot of wiggle room here. Uh, Jim in uh, up by Binghamton. Yeah. Hey, Greg. I I was actually at the uh, Amityville house, and I do think 
most serial killers, there's an aspect of demonic possession. And it's beyond human evil, what they do. And pornography is a foothold with that. Um, I bought a horse trailer out of Long Island. And I told the guy who I was, I wanted to stop by the Amityville house. I always wanted to go by there. The priest who blessed the Amityville house from the, from the family that got chased out of there, he actually baptized this guy. And when I went to the Amityville house, they changed the address and they changed the, uh, the windows. Um, I, was, I took a couple of pictures from my car and people started yelling at me. They don't like visitors to the house, people taking pictures. And when we looked at the pictures and we got home, there was a weird anomaly in the picture that you can't explain right in front. Everything was clear except this weird anomaly right in front of the house. But what, was the, what was the anomaly? I could send you the picture. No one could explain it. Well, just tell me what it looked like. Was it a, was it a ghost? What, what did you see? Well, it, looked, it looks like a spiritual anomaly right in front of the house. Yeah, you could see the house. Everything's clear. It was a brand-new iPhone, state-of-the-art. Everything's clear. You got the bushes in the front. Right over the bushes in front of the house, there was this, this spiritual anomaly. It looks like a spiritual anomaly. You could it have been like it. a speck of peanut butter or something on the lens? No, absolutely not. It, it, it was, no, no. Hey, let me tell you here. something. Let me tell you something about that uh, Amityville horror stuff, okay? And now people were killed in that house, the DeFeo family. Uh, but the, uh, and that guy might have been possessed by the devil. Uh, but the house, the people who came in after and wrote that nightmare story, it was a total scam. It's it a, was a scam. They, they made it up, but things actually did happen there. The kids have actually... The, the parents have died, but the kids have actually. There's a documentary. One of the kids. I know. Uh, I saw that documentary. That guy was. Uh, that guy was laying it on way too thick. All right. That guy had a lot of problems, and he was blaming it, blaming it all on the house. I didn't. Uh, I didn't. I was not swayed by that. I think it's a great big scam, uh, but it's a one hell of a movie, and it's one hell right, of a story. I, one hell of a story. That guy DeFeo, the actual madman who did it. You know, he's on drugs. He did all this other stuff. He basically said in court he wanted the money. He 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 said in that parole hearing said he was doing it for drug money and all this stuff. Michael DeFeo, I think his name is. He died in prison a few years ago. There was a supernatural aspect to it. He killed six family members with a thirty caliber rifle. None of them woke up. None of them were drugged during they when the toxicology test came back. None of them were drugged. They were all shot face down in bed. I mean, I don't know how supernatural that is, somebody getting shot with a rifle. I mean, I can see that happening. I think you, uh, if you wrap it up or something like that, or, you know, I can, I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't think it's, it's certainly not what they said in the movie. I have another story of a house that I was going to buy upstate. All right, Jim, I got to go. I got to go. Hold that for next time, okay? Um, yeah, there's not, uh, the Amityville Horror. There's been a, so much, so much stuff about that, and uh, a lot of it is nonsense. Although I know they do hate it when you go by there. Uh, I did hear also somebody went by there once, and after they drove away, they got a very weird phone call, and it was all staticky and weird and creepy. And you know, how often do you answer the phone and it's staticky and weird? And they associated it with the house. It gives me the creeps, even though I don't believe in that stuff. It does give me uh, the creeps. And uh, once again, we're really sorry about Elise Finch over there at uh, CBS Radio. Great woman and uh, died way too young, 51 years old. We saw her on TV just the other day doing the weather like she always did. And it calls to mind these other women who have been uh, who, who just died way too early. Women of New York television, Catherine Craig, Lisa Calagrassi. Just crazy, 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 crazy stuff. And. 
it's um, something that's got to be looked at. Do you agree with me? I know there's people are already giving me a hard time. Well, they they make millions of dollars on television. No, they don't actually. Uh, far from it. Far from it. Here, here's uh, Lisa Calagrassi doing the news back in 2014, uh, 2014 cut nineteen. For the latest now from the Bronx, where police are still on the scene of a grisly murder. A woman was found shot to death at two hundred thirteenth and Carlisle Place, and police have a big clue that was recovered at the scene. Eyewitness News reporter Lisa Calagrassi live in Williamsbridge with the story. Lisa, good morning. So, Ken, basically what we have here are two scenes. Right now we've got crime scene investigators going over East 213th and Carlisle Place. This is where the woman's body was found during that grisly overnight shooting. Now, So part of me is like, why do we send these uh, reporters to the Bronx in the middle of the night to see some shooting? I mean, uh, you know, there's more than... How many days are there in the year? 365. Well, there are more than 400 homicides to this point in New York City. Do you have to cover each one of them? Why do you have to go out and cover? There's going to be one. Do you have to go out and send a reporter? Usually they just send them out and they're standing in front of a building and nothing's going on at 430 in the morning. I think it's, you know, talk about fake news. That's kind of fake newsy. I, I think that it's not necessary. you got to think about what's actually derived from sending somebody out there. It's just television show production. I mean, imagine coming into work at two in the morning. I know some of you have to do that. It's tough. It 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 does a number on your body. Now here's Catherine Craig, who had a, also the morning shift, and she dies the very next year after this report. That was Lisa Calagrassi. She died in 2015. Here's Catherine Craig, who died in 2020. Cut 20. We have team coverage, and today in New York's Catherine Craig begins that in Lower Manhattan with more on how the NYPD is dealing with a major uptick of sick calls, Cat. And Darlene and Michael, Major is right. You have more than 2,400 New York City police officers who are out sick. It accounts for about 7% of the police force. And here, You remember that voice? Do you remember her? Um, that story is all the way back during the pandemic, of course. It was 2020. She died the next year, the very next year. Married mother, two children, working a very difficult job, horrible hours, Going out all over the tri-state area every single day, it's hard, especially for women, especially for women in television. And they don't get millions and millions and millions of dollars. And again, here's Elise Finch doing the weather. Just, I believe this is early last week. She died over the weekend, cut 18. The rest of us, yes, very unusual and, yeah, dangerous stuff. So for us here at home, we're dealing with the heat, the humidity, air quality issues as of this afternoon, and, of course, the threat of severe weather. So let's go ahead and take a look. want to show you we're taking a live look outside. It is mostly cloudy and 87 degrees, so temperatures are definitely uh, creeping up. It feels like 89 degrees. Wow. I mean, you, you hear it all the time. It's so professional. New York has some of the best broadcasters. And... uh it's really sad. Um, what's going on? I don't have the cause of death yet. Uh, I don't think anybody does. Now, I think Catherine Craig, they said it was a heart ailment with Lisa Calagrassi. It was a brain aneurysm. I don't know what they're going to say here, but I'm, <laughs> I'm convinced that a contributing factor is the, uh, is the in at 2 a.m. stuff. Try managing a household and doing all the things you got to do. It's hard enough when you work nine to five. I mean, that's that's particularly hard. Mitch uh, up in White Plains, yes, sir. Yeah, Greg, I listen to you all the time. I'm a little nervous. I just wanted to say that the, this gentleman, uh, I refer to him as Lurch. He's just the he's the pimple on the elephant's behind. 
there is an elephant to who? be found. Who? Who's Lurch? Lurch, Mr. Gorman. I know who Lurch is, but wait, who's who are you calling Lurch? Mr. Gorman. Gorman? Who the hell's Gorman? The, the gentleman that they've apprehended. Oh, the serial killer. The, Hoyerman. Hilgo Beach, yes. And uh, there were... Suffolk County went out of their way to keep the FBI out of this for a long time. And as soon as the FBI got involved, bingo, they stopped putting the pieces together. Two people went to jail in Suffolk County. You know that. One was a uh, head of police and another one, uh, I think, was I'm, I'm bad at names. One was either a D.A. or an assistant D.A. Two people committed suicide on this. And that was all attached to this. And this thing did not take place at Gilgo Beach. It took place at a little subset of Gilgo Beach called Oak Beach. Well, there was one thing that happened at Oak Beach. Uh, Gilgo Beach definitely was where they had... Look, the one suicide I know had uh, nothing to do with this. I'm convinced. I Look, I looked at it all weekend long. Uh, but look, you raised some good points. I mean, uh, the, you, <laughs> the, the chief of police went to, went to prison and a lot of it was weird sex stuff. And so who knows, man? Who knows? Uh, and I've heard that as well, that they weren't cooperating with the FBI. Uh, so that's, that's wrong. That's not good. Mitch, I appreciate it. I got to go to a break. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Oh, and, uh, there's also this, uh, Iran is on the verge of, uh, getting a nuclear bomb. They have enriched so much uranium, and they are enriching more, and you gotta get to an enrichment level. Alright, I'm not, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about, technically speaking. I mean, technically, I know overall what I'm talking about, but I don't know technically what this means. But you have to enrich the uranium. I don't know if the uranium enriches something else, or something enriches the uranium, but right now it's 83% enriched, and once it's 90% enriched, and they're very, very close, that's when it's kaboom, kablamo, and, uh, they get a weapon. And uh, you know what happens possibly before that? The Israelis strike. The Israelis do not mess around. Now, they hit Iraq when they were on the verge of getting a nuclear weapon all the way back in the 1980s, an amazing mission with F-16 fighter jets that they got from us, America. Uh, I don't think they're going to wait. Now, there's all kinds of stuff that I'm seeing that the Iranians have created their lab, and it's way, 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 way down underground where conventional munitions, no matter how powerful, cannot get at them. Uh, we'll see about that. But is this the kind of administration that's going to order that? I don't think so, actually. <laughs> Joe Biden seems to be facilitating it every step of the way. You know what they said. You know what Joe, John Kerry said, because he was negotiating this deal back when he was the Secretary of State. I can't leave this room without a deal. He goes in to negotiate with the Iranians and, and announces right away, I can't leave this room without a deal. What does that do? That gives your uh, your adversary all the power he needs. You just told him everything. Y'all, it's a negotiating one hundred and one. You got to be able to walk away. And they just told John Kerry. John Kerry just gave away. I can't walk away. I can't just walk away. So uh, bad negotiating. Negotiating is important. All right. Very quickly, Frank. Hi, Greg. Uh, I would like to tell you a little crazy coincidence at the time that they were digging up these bodies in new york four prostitutes were found dead in the fields outside of atlantic city so i don't know if that's a coincidence or not and at the time of these murders 
there was a show on TV that actually made you feel that the police were not investigating the crimes because prostitutes were involved. And the main uh, person that they thought was possibly the, the person that was committing these crimes, he moved to Florida, and after he moved to Florida, the killing stopped. Well, um, I've heard this before, and I don't buy it, that the police were somehow holding their nose because they were prostitutes. I don't buy that. I mean, some of the most notorious serial killers in history have preyed upon uh, uh, prostitutes, and the cases are investigated fully, aggressively. Sometimes it they might be a little bit slow to uh, react initially, like, okay, it's a prostitute. Do we know she's dead? Maybe she just got on the bus and went somewhere. You know, forgive me, but prostitution is not like shift work, all right? It's a... It's an erratic lifestyle, and I think they factor that in. Okay, so it's not like, oh, she didn't show up for work today. Uh, you know, must be missing. No, could have just gone somewhere. There's that. But once uh, they found all those bodies in those marshes, I think the cops, and certainly the rank and file cops, and a lot of the ma- their leaders too, wanted to find their uh, find the guy. But there were serious mistakes made. And uh, thank God again for uh, D.A. Tierney and uh, Commissioner Rodney Harrison, who came in with a lot of momentum and a fresh look. Barbara, hi. Hi, Greg. Good afternoon. Hey, I was thinking about what you said last week when we last spoke, and, and I was telling you my friend was asking me which candidate is more likely to bring us together as a country. And your reply to that was that you think that it's Jesus who will bring us together. God will bring us together. And Benjamin Franklin agreed with you when he spoke to the Constitutional Convention in 1787. And he said, Uh Uh-oh. To be continued, Barbara. But Ben Franklin was on our side then and now. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.